Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Wisdom, a study through Proverbs. As Notorious B.I.G. said, more money, more problems. Come on. That's right. You know, it's been fun to study through and discuss the book of Proverbs together over the last, uh, really, two and a half months. We started back in early June in chapters one, and we've kind of walked our way through a series on the book of Proverbs. Now, this has been incredible. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's so much instruction, insight. It gives us understanding, and deep down inside, God is wanting to see us win in life. He wants to see us soar and experience life to the full in him. Now, if you're visiting for the first time, I'm so glad you're here. This is where we're at today. We'll be uh, kind of looking at chapters 19 and 20. And uh, today I want to talk about wisdom with wealth. God wants to give us wisdom in many areas. Next week, I'll talk about wisdom in regards to why your why matters and why intent and motive is so crucial. Uh, The week after that, uh, we're going to look at alcohol, and I've titled that message already, Jack, Jim, and Jose. So we need to pay a little attention to what's going on there, because there's so much alcohol bondage, and we need to understand what God has to say about it. Labor Day weekend, we're going to talk about laziness. Scripture repeatedly, Proverbs talks about the sluggard. And then we're going to come out of that, and we're going to talk about the importance of accountability. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I've been really praying through just direction. And then we'll come out of that, and we'll talk about uh, parenting, because there's so much in Proverbs that talks about how kids are responding to respond to their parents, but how parents have an incredible responsibility to shepherd their kids. And then we'll finish up Proverbs with chapter 31 on the value of a godly woman. So today... We're going to spend some time looking at wisdom with wealth. Now, a couple of verses out of 19 and chapter 20 here. Listen to this. I'm a life coach. I'm a life coach. Position says pastor, but the heart and our approach is to coach you up so that you can be the very best you can be for the glory of God and be the most effective disciple in Loganville and beyond that you can be. Now listen to what he says in Proverbs 19 and 20. Get all the godly advice. Get all the godly instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. You're going to pursue something. You're going to get something Make sure you're getting all the godly advice and all the godly instruction and all the godly wisdom you can. And then he says this, love and truth form a good leader. So we love you, but we speak the truth in love. A lot of people, when they get to topics like alcohol or uh, dealing with money or whatever, sexual misconduct, they want to kind of go on past that because I don't want to offend anybody. I hear people say that. We're not worried about offending anybody. We're, we're, we're concentrating on loving you and telling you the truth to build you up, to coach you toward the gospel. So he says, love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership 
is established on loving integrity. Integrity, character. Those are values of, of who we are here. And we do not minimize love, truth, and integrity. It, it has got to be the theme and the thread of everything that we are. So what does he say? Acquire godly advice. Apply it. Accept correction. Live wisely. And if you're ever going to move to a place where you're viewed as a strong, good leader, it has to be founded on love, truth, and integrity. Now, as we've jogged through over the last weeks, the book of Proverbs, hear me loud and clear. There is a huge contrast throughout the book that talks about wisdom and foolishness. And Proverbs screams, please, please, please choose wisdom. So to me, it would be wise introspection for each and every one of us to answer a few questions. And so here, here, here it would be. This is not collectively as a church or as you, you're sitting there today, it's selectively individually. Here's the question. Do I really desire to live a life of wisdom? Wisdom is having the skill and insight and understanding to do life in such a way that it glorifies God. So you've got to ask the question, do you personally want to live a life of wisdom? Now, the assumption would be, I believe the majority of you come in here Sunday after Sunday and even today to say, I, I do want to live a wise life. The second question has to be asked, am I willing to honor the Lord completely in all areas? Do I really want to honor God, period? Now, that's premise for who we are. Then you really do have to ponder the question, do I desire to live a life of humility that's applauded, or do I want to live a life of pride? And Rick did a, such a great job of defining it in the simplest of terms that humility is dependence on God, where pride is dependence on anything other than God. Now, as we build on this message today, I want to look back just for a few seconds. Last week, we established out of Proverbs 17 that Jesus is the greatest friend that has ever lived. We we declared that Jesus is the ultimate friend of all. He even was called a friend of sinners. And John 15 says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So when we looked at the friend of Jesus, we made this declaration that when it came to Proverbs 17, 17, and I encouraged you to memorize that verse, it says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for the day of adversity. So my best friend and the closest friend that I have is Jesus Christ. I submitted, surrendered, and yielded to him in October of 1985. And my best friend has spoken repeatedly, and it's canonized in the Bible, but he has spoken with clarity, and he's spoken with certainty. And one of the things that my best friend, friend Jesus said, is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, which really implies what do you treasure most, what do you value as supreme, what is the chief possession in your life, 
Paul David Tripp, I'm reading him in a quest for more. Great book. But Paul David Tripp made this observation. He said, if Jesus is not the ultimate treasure I seek, I will not be taking on his likeness, which means I will not be conformed to his likeness, which means I'm not going to be looking like Jesus if he's not the ultimate treasure I seek. He goes on to say, instead, I will begin to look more and more like the treasure of the kingdom of self that I'm actually living for. So what do I treasure? What do I value above all? What is the most important thing in my journey? Now, Proverbs speaks repeatedly about treasuring God above all. And throughout the pages of Proverbs, it speaks repeatedly about how we use, manage, and handle wealth, money, and possessions. There's so much in here that talks about how do you use money. And here's what I believe. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle and use money. People have asked me over the years, why did God say so much and why does the scripture speak so much about money, wealth, and possessions? And I can tell you, our use of money or our misuse of money or our abuse of money is one of the truest indicators of reflecting what our true heart is. Now hear me, life coaching, I want to see every person in this room win. I want to see you soar. I want to see you be all that you can be for the glory of God. See, God wants to be center. He wants to be priority of everything that we do. Now, a premise statement that I would highly encourage you to contemplate and own would be this. I own nothing. I am to manage and steward what has been entrusted to me by God. I came into the world, I will leave with nothing when I exit here in regards to materialism, uh, materialism or wealth or money or possessions. So the heartbeat of the gospel is you don't own anything. Even the very breath that I breathe as we sing is your breath. You gave me the breath. One day you're going to say, give me back my breath. God's going to ask you for that breath back. So the mindset has to be, and I'm coaching, stewardship, managing, overseeing that which belongs to someone else. So when you look at your time and your talents and treasures and relationships and job and the kids that got in trouble, whatever it is, I've got to steward that. Now, I want to give you six principles today as I comb through this in regards to just basic, fundamental, bottom shelf principles throughout the book of Proverbs when it comes to dealing with money, wealth, and possessions. Now, hear me loud and clear. Principle number one would be this. Money isn't everything. And the, the thought process would be this. Money cannot bring satisfaction. It can't. I'll never forget a conversation I had with my friend Jeff Foxworthy years ago. Jeff surrendered in 1997 with, with me at a Chick-fil-A parking lot, and he's like, I, I, I want to follow the Lord. But we got into this conversation probably, Danny, about a year, year and a half into our friendship. We were driving down the road, and Jeff said, 
I'll never forget as a 17-year-old boy, young dude, at First Baptist Hapeville, I was sitting there on a Sunday night. They had a missionary come in. This missionary comes in, and he begins to share about what he's doing. But in his, in his presentation, he said, money won't make you happy. Money won't satisfy you. Fame don't make you happy. And he said, the cynic that I was, I remember sitting there going, how do you know? I see the bondo-beaten pinto that you drove up in. You've never had money. You've never had fame. How do you know? And Jeff goes, brother, listen to me. Years later, doors would open. I would move to Hollywood. And there I was filming the Jeff Foxworthy show. And next to me was Seinfeld. And next to me was Roseanne. I had Roseanne and Seinfeld on both sides of where these studios were. And he said, I can tell you one thing, brother. Money don't make you happy. Fame don't make you happy. Because the most miserable people I ever met in my life had money, fame, and notoriety, and they were absolutely disgusted and just a misery to be around. And then Jeff said, I'll never forget hearing people say, if you're going to really repent and respond to the gospel, you've got to hit rock bottom. He said, let me tell you something. For me, I made money. I was known all over the nation. I was selling, I've sold more CDs and albums than any comic in history. He said, I reached the pinnacle of what man said was success. And it was empty. And it drove me to my knees because it was like, what am I missing? And I wasn't yielding and surrendering and submitting to the Lordship of Christ. So money does not satisfy. Here's one of the things that money can do. Money can take your eyes off the Lord. I've seen people over the years that once they started acquiring wealth, it started to lead them to divided allegiance. What's your focus on? It doesn't satisfy. It can create more pride than humility. It can absolutely destroy relationships. One of the things in ministering to the athletic and professional culture for so long is so many of my friends, once they started making large sums of money, they didn't know if a person wanted to get to know them because of who they were or because of what they had. Money doesn't satisfy you. If you're living a lost life and your life today is filled with misery, let me tell you something. Money will only give you more opportunities to live out your misery. Money doesn't satisfy. Wisdom is more valuable than money. Financial wealth is empty when compared to righteousness, the fear of the Lord, peace, good relationships. So principle number one would be this. Money isn't everything. Number two would be this. Don't try and impress people with your stuff. People may be impressed with what you got for a short period of time, but they will be impacted by the substance of your life. You want to impress or you want to impact? Proverbs. Listen to what he says. Better to be ordinary and work for a living than to act important and starve in the process. Some people who are poor 
pretend to be rich. Some people wanting to maybe present an image that's inconsistent with their financial portfolio will go out and acquire and obtain houses and cars and everything. Listen, it's one thing to obtain. It's a whole different thing to maintain and to sustain. You always want to live simple. In the 70s, back in the mid-70s, a girl that was in my grade that lived right down the road from me, I'll never forget during the summer, I looked at my mom one day. I said, what is she doing? She encouraged her mom, let's roll the windows up in our car so that we can pretend that we've got air conditioning. <laughs> and I re remember looking at that going, for real? When you get out, baby girl, you look like you've been in a sauna. But there's a lot of people that try to present an image that's inconsistent with their reality. Don't try to impress people with your stuff. Do yourself a favor. Go to a junkyard. Because every car in that junkyard, once upon a time, used to be somebody's pride and joy. Here's a third principle. You cannot outgive God. You will not outgive God. You can't do it. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, the first 10, the tithe. Honor the Lord with your first fruits, honor the Lord and tithe right out of the gate with all your wealth. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Here's the principle. What you keep is all you have. But what you give, God multiplies. I'm going to keep it. It's mine. No, you're a steward. Money is a blessing from the Lord for some. But it can be a curse if you're robbing God. I was talking to my friend, Luke, who's in our church. Many of you know our buddy Luke, who's 22 years old. He just uh, has been in the Navy for about 15 months now, and he's out in Everett, Washington. And he FaceTimed me last Saturday, and we were talking about a variety of things. And, I mean, what kind of fellowship you've got going on? What's happening since you moved out there? How do you like the Northwest? Uh, what is God doing in your life? He's 22 years old. And he started sharing with me. He said, Tim, I'm reading a book right now by Tim Chester, who's a, uh, a pastor out of England, called Decisions Made Simple. I said, good. He goes, God has simplified my life. And I said, talk to me. He said, here was the catalyst. He said, I came home from Panama City one weekend, and Sydney, his fiance, he said, we went over to Benji and Grace's house to have dinner. He said, and while we're having this conversation, Benji looked at me and said, Luke, is Jesus priority, basically? Is Jesus the center of what you're doing? Do you honor God with your money and wealth? He goes, no. And he goes, Luke, until you learn to honor God and become a tither plus, I promise you right now, 
your whole world is going to be out of order. You've got to order your private world. I'm telling you right now, Luke, the most important thing you can do is honor God with your wealth. And then commit to honor God in these other areas. And Luke said, the catalyst for my growth and prioritizing my life came as a result of that conversation. Here was a 24-year-old talking to a 22-year-old about honoring and obeying the Lord. And he said, I promise you, Luke, God will open up the floodgates and pour out a blessing you can't even imagine. Because our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. He says, test me in this. And I was like, yes. And as I sat there during this worship moment this morning, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was seeking to saturate this room in a fresh way. And I felt like the hearts of the people were like, it is you, God. You do put the breath in our lungs. And I, I, I'm sitting there just thinking, we have been praying as a church for revival. Nick and Dustin and I spent concentrated time on Monday, Dustin. We sat there and we're praying for revival. We're, we're wanting to see revival break out. At the cross Loganville, we're wanting to see God do a work in Loganville and beyond. And as we were praying, God goes, I desire to bless y'all. I want to bring about revival. But my, my hands are tied a little bit right now. I'm like, he says, well, a man robbed God. Tim, people can't rob me and ask me to bless them. But how are we robbing you, God? He goes, you're not tithing and even beyond that with offerings. And he says, you're cursed with a curse for robbing me, the whole nation of you. And as I do introspection on my own life, and as I life coach my own kids, don't prevent God from working in your life. Don't handicap yourself on not being able to experience the fullness of what God wants to do. If you're robbing God and you're asking God to bless you, you're in contradiction. You can't be a thief and go to God and ask him to give you more when you won't even honor him. Here's a fundamental thought process, though, and it's a scary one to contemplate. But if God took what we give and multiplied it by 10, would I be able to live on it? I mean, that's the premise of tithing, right? We bring to the Lord the tithe plus. But if God took my giving and multiplied it by 10, can I live on it? And God goes, I want you to honor me with your wealth, all your wealth, your investments, your interest that comes in. I want you to honor me and put me first. Put me center. I, I want to be your God. So I was asking Steve, we just sat there and it's like, Steve, I, I don't know how it's broken down in our church. I don't see what you do. I don't even watch what my staff does. That, I'm, I'm like, guys, is everybody tithing plus? Steve goes, everybody's tithing plus on the staff. I'm like, great. But I started just talking to Steve. And I'm like, all right, as a church, the people that call the Cross Loganville their home, people that would say they're in small groups or part of this community or they're here once, twice, three times a month, and they would say, that, that's where we hang. Right, Danny? I mean, that's how we would kind of look at partners. There's 558 families, or we would say giving units, that make up our church. 
And I said, Steve, how does it break down with just the percentages of where people are at? He said, well, Tim, he said, uh, reality is 50% of our church give between zero and $250 from January 1st until now. And I'm like, really? But Steve, we're wanting to see God bring revival and we're wanting to see God's hands free to do so much more. And I've got families here that wouldn't make up that number that give at the end of the year. I'm talking about faithful families and they give at the end of the year. So the numbers can be a little off, just, but there's only a couple that do that. So we started looking at that, Drew, with you and Steve teaching this financial peace stuff with Dave Ramsey. You started this morning. You've got a room full. You'll be here tomorrow night teaching more because we're wanting to lead people to financial peace and freedom with God. So I was like, all right, so zero to $250, 50%. He goes, yeah. Now between $250 and 1000 16% of the people fall into that category. And I'm like, Okay. And I don't know where you fall. I'm just sharing the truth of what the numbers are. And then he said, 25% of our people have given between 1,000 and 5,000 this year. And then he said, uh, 9% have given 5,000 or more. Now, the conversation back to Jesse, we have, Rachel, we have inside of our house as we talk about this was, how do you do it? Benji asked me that when he first signed with the Royals and he was going to get a $10,000 signing bonus. How do you do it, Dad? We give immediately. We give the first fruit. So if we get paid and whatever, and Steve started telling me, he goes, I know when he gets paid. Because before the sun goes down that night, if money is put in his account, he's 10% plus off of it. I was like, that's the way you do it. And if you can learn the 10-10-80 approach out of the gate, and if you would commit to that, I promise you it will free you. That's where you give the first 10, you save 10, and you live on 80. You can get to a place where you're giving 20 and saving 20 and living on 60. Financial stewardship is putting yourself in a position where you can walk in the freedom of the Lord, where you can be an extravagant, uh, an extravagant blessing to other people. Now, one of the things we do, and we do this periodically, is in your thing, there is this blue card. I'm not begging you. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. But you need your obedience and honor to be right before the Lord. And I promise you, if you're robbing God, you're opening the door for a lot of chaos in your life. And so on this card, we've got the Malachi piece. You can use the Proverbs piece, the 2 Corinthians 9 piece. But it says, uh, my part is, by God's grace, over the next 100 days, we call it the 100-day giving challenge, I'm going to honor God in this area. I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to tithe, which means if my wife makes 50 and I make 50 and we make 100, we're going to give 10,000. That's the number we, we play on. If she makes 100 and I make 100, then there's 200. We're going to give at least 20,000. We're not going to rob God. And we give to multiple other things. But my part is I'm going to take the challenge and I'm going to trust God because I don't want to live. I don't want to live in a place where I'm not blessed by the Lord and honoring God. We say God's part says, I'll bless you. I'll open up the floodgates. Test me in this. Our part, we don't want your money. If God is not faithful to you after 100 days, you come to us and Steve will write you a check for everything you've given. Really? I promise you, we just want you to experience the goodness of God. 
Our heart is we want to see you coached up so that you're walking in the wisdom of the Lord. And if you do that, I promise you, you'll go, what freedom? What freedom? And there's so many people in this room that stepped out of their comfort zone and died to their own pride and took that step in years past and they're like, it's absolutely rocked me. Here would be a fourth principle. Money cannot give you security. Is it good to have money? Yes. Is it okay to save money? Yes. But financial freedom will only be experienced when you're free in Jesus. What are you going to do? Am I going to honor God? Do I desire to live a life of wisdom? Here's another principle. The Lord opposes those who get rich by injustice. If you take advantage of a poor person, if you're ripping somebody off with the way you're doing things, throughout Proverbs, he goes, I oppose those who get rich through injustice. I oppose those who take advantage of other people. Here's the principle. Treat everyone with incredible dignity. I don't want to know who gives what. I want to treat every person as if they're giving 100% to the Lord every week. I don't touch the checkbooks. I don't write checks. I don't handle any money. I don't do that. Because I've seen too much corruption with money, sex, and power with people in positions of influence. I don't write checks. I don't even have permission to do that. I want to honor the Lord with everything that we do here. We want to build and establish trust equity where you say, we trust what God is doing there. We believe that their heart is to see us fully alive in Christ so that we're free to experience and flourish in this walk with Jesus. Here's another principle. The Lord blesses those who are generous. He says in Proverbs 28, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. If there is a genuine need and somebody is really hurting, he goes, reach out and love that person. We believe that living a life of generosity is the strongest declaration we have of our faith with Christ. We believe that the strongest apologetic, which is a theological term, which means the defense of the gospel and living out your faith, we believe that our strongest apologetic and strongest declaration of our faith is living a life of generosity. We don't take advantage of people. We're here to give. We're here to love. We're here to serve. Listen to what he says. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Bring your first fruits and tithes before the Lord. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, this is not, this is not just a money talk. This is a walking with God wisdom honor talk. Here, here's the way this thing would wrap. Okay? Three simple principles that are also in your outline today. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. And you're going to reap later than you sow. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. You're going to reap what you sow. 
If you sow a kernel of corn, you're not going to get apples or oranges. You will get a stalk of corn. So the principle as we start to comb through, Mike, is that you're going to reap what you sow in accordance with what you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. You're not going to get just one kernel of corn. You will get a stalk of corn, and that will have many ears of corn on it. So the principle is if you sow an acorn, you get an oak tree. You don't just get another acorn. So you're going to get more than you sow. One of the one-liners that I heard years ago was you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. See, what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. You're going to reap later than you sow. When you study, it's cultivate, it's throw in seed, it's irrigate, and then comes the harvest. So we, right now, from seeds that we sown into our kids when they were infants and in young adolescent childhood stages, you start to reap what you sow later. You've seen where parents and families didn't sow. And it's later. And we don't know what that's going to totally look like. Because I'm looking to see what it looks like with grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Because if what was taught was really caught, they'll pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. Now, my best friend said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. My best friend said, I love a cheerful giver. If we rob God, we're putting a ceiling and a lid on the principles that God goes, I'm not going to walk I'm not going to go against what I said. When we open up the door to trust God, he goes, I will open up the floodgates. I'll pour out so much on you, you won't be able to contain it. Now, as you deal with money, as you deal with wealth, and as you deal with possessions, the scripture says that the love of money, more money, more problems. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say having money is evil. It says the love of it is the root of all sorts of evil. And most of the world's issues today, globally, can be traced back to some type of money wealth issue. Now, here's the problem. People that have money are given power. You give the wrong people power, and it leads to ego, pride, corruption, and all sorts of chaos. Get a person who's got wealth, who seeks God first and honors God above all, and watch how God works in that individual's life. One of my heroes, going back in reading through his life, and I had the opportunity to meet him when I emceed the Chick-fil-A FCA Peach Bowl breakfast with Truett Cathy. 
before I ever spoke at that first Chick-fil-A breakfast, FCA breakfast, I read his book. I read his principles. I met his son, Dan. I met his son, Bubba. I met some of the family as we were doing this. And I was like, I admire the way that Christ is center of how you're seeking to build this business. I admire, Truett, your heart to honor God beyond all. And can I tell you something? The man blew past tithing years ago because God continued to bless and bless, but they would not negotiate the principles of God. As we teach God's word with love and truth, love and truth form a good leader. Integrity is central on being able to provide leadership and coach other people up. We cannot mandate or even preach what we don't model. We have to model it if we're going to mandate it. Now listen to me. Here's the close. What is God revealing to you in this moment? What is the Holy Spirit showed you in your life? Are you living a life that honors God or are you robbing God? Are you stewarding your time, your talents, your treasures, your relationships for the glory of God? Or is it all about you? Are you in a position to be blessed by God or are you cursed with a curse? The simple thing is, will you test God and take the 100-day given challenge to say, I'm going to test God. That would be a healthy thing to do. Will I honor the Lord with my life in all areas? Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there. Uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web, or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.